Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Cameron Tyler. He's been based in Las Vegas since 2017, where he is involved with Cirque du Soleil, among many other shows and acts. He also runs his own studio, where he does everything from drum tracks for hire to mixing and producing original projects. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. We have some new Patreon content up since a lot of us are doing more tracking lately. We're having some of our guests talk about a specific song they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of that recording process. New content there from Don Perry, Jim White, Joe Bergamini, and Steven Chopek. So check that out. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So Cameron is managing to carve a niche for himself in Las Vegas that includes the typical Vegas musician's business model of playing shows on the Strip, but isn't solely reliant on it. Although playing shows is a piece of the puzzle for him, it wasn't the main reason he moved there, and it was cool to hear about the other ways he's finding to weave himself into Vegas's musical community. So here we go with Cameron Tyler. Tell us a little bit about your experience as like a, a Vegas professional going through this last uh, year and a half. I mean, obviously everything got shut down at a certain point, um, but uh, you know, what what was your experience of, of sort of the the bottom dropping out, and then what has come back uh, since then? Yeah, that's a really good question, man. When everything shut down, there was so much uncertainty. Just similar to how everybody is in this industry, but there's just so much entertainment going on here in Vegas and so many musicians that are employed by different entities, larger shows that require them to be there. They're sit-down gigs. Right. You're there five nights a week and you play the gig and you go home and that's sort of your grind. It's sort of like a nine to five. Yeah. And when everything happened, nobody knew if this was like a zombie apocalypse or if, <laughs> or if it was something that was just in the news, you know? Mm -hmm. 
But when it turned out to be more serious, places were less uh, interested in having lots of people in big, big uh, rooms. Right. Sort of like those, like the biggest shows in town, they're around 2,000 capacity mm-hmm. and they pack them in there. One of the shows uh, that I do is called Ka, it's with Cirque du Soleil. Right. And that was actually, this one is just about to start coming back uh, at the end of this year. Oh, so just now it's it's making its way back. Yes. Wow. And only one of the shows, the Cirque shows, was shut down permanently. So thankfully, most of the entertainment is on its way back if it hasn't come back already. So like, are you saying, when you say one of the Cirque shows, are there multiple Cirque shows in Vegas? Yes, I believe there are seven resident shows. Holy shit, I had no idea. <laughs> oh yeah. That's amazing. They, they took over the whole, the whole thing out here and they, you know, there's different themes. There's a Michael Jackson show, there's a Beatles show. Right. The one that I do is called Ka and that one is sort of a, it's like a battle, sort of Asian style battle mm-hmm. show where there's a lot of acrobatics. I mean, all of them have acrobatics, but most of them have live musicians involved. Right. And I've heard of all of those shows. Like I, I was well aware that, you know, Cirque had, uh, you know, multiple shows uh, and multiple shows in Vegas, but I had no idea it was that many and that they were all sort of simultaneously running. Oh, yeah. It's wow. a huge industry out here and yeah. they employ quite a few entertainers. I mean, it must singers. be thousands of people, right? That they employ. Yeah. The show that I do, it requires 300 individuals to put the show on. <laughs> For just your show. Yes. And I mean, wow. it is the biggest, but it is, it's insane. That's part of the reason why this has been the last one to come back. Ka is the, the last one to come back. Mm-hmm. And most of the other ones have opening dates at this point. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. are, are back already. Cool. Cool. So like when things shut down, I mean, was, was, was there like one day when the whole strip just shut down and everybody went home or was it more of a rolling blackout kind of like, oh, this show's going down. Oh, that place is going down. It seemed like it all happened at once. I was actually on the road when everything started to go down. I was in New York City in Times Square the day that they shut down Broadway. Wow. I went to the ticket counter and asked for a ticket because I was hoping to see something. I had a day off. I was hanging out in Manhattan. And they said, nope, we can't sell you the ticket. We just shut it down. Wow. And that just sort of sunk in to me. And I was thinking, man, what's going to happen back home? Right. This is definitely going to have some repercussions of some kind. Yeah. Um, So... How long has, I mean, so your, your show has been down since March of 2020 and coming back, did you say in, in a month or something? It'll be back in November. I oh, believe November. The, okay, end good. Of no, the end of November, uh, the, the public can come and see Ka. Cool. Cool. And like, it, is, is the show, uh, going to be as it was? Are you in rehearsals to change stuff? Is it like, where, where are you at in sort of the ramp up to reopening right now? I have a feeling there is going to be a lot of changes made. We're going to try to keep the music as similar to what it was before, but it's inevitable because there's a lot of 
people that they hired that aren't U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people have had to relocate. Yeah. They haven't been able to stick around. So it's going to be a process. And I don't know how deep it's going to be. But I do know that most of the band is going to be back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the limited communications that we do have. I hear about things from time to time, but it's not a lot of clear communication. Hmm. And is, is most of that communication like from your MD or from a stage manager or, uh, I mean, is the, is the hierarchy of like, you know, the, um, who runs that show kind of similar to a, a musical? Yes. It's similar to that. I, w- I would say that's a good comparison. There's, it's very much a corporate gig yeah. where there's a co- company protocol and email list and you get updates via email and it's very official and there's contracts involved and right. all that stuff. Right. Um, and is the, uh, is the musicians union, um, part of this equation in Vegas? Not with Cirque. When you get offered a gig with Cirque, you're an employee of Cirque mm-hmm. and it's not a union gig. And you actually go through the same protocol as the acrobats do. They do hmm. all the physical testing on you and right. do all of that and make sure you're fit to do the gig. Mm-hmm. Even though you might not be climbing up walls and swinging on trapeze, right? they they just do that because that's the way it works at that company. Right. It's unlike anything I've ever done. It's been super interesting and eye-opening. Well, yeah, like uh, that's a, another thing I was wondering, like, you know, uh, I mean, we can go back about, you know, how long you've been in Vegas and, and how you got there. Um, but what other, um, I mean, your, your, your resume includes quite a few other Vegas based, uh, things, right? So talk a little bit about what those are and how, uh, Cirque, uh, differs from those, you know, aside from, uh, being fit enough to swing on a trapeze. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, so I came to Vegas just with a really open mind. I'd been living in Los Angeles for six or seven years prior. What years were you in for... L.A.? That was 2010 to 2017. Well, I, I was there for like the same time. I was there from 2010 to 2015. Um, wow. Yeah, okay. so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that we didn't cross paths because L.A. is just so goddamn huge. Uh, (laughs) it's huge yeah and it's so saturated that was yeah that was my thing i really cut my teeth learning how to record there and i'm so grateful for that and for having the experiences that i had with doing some major label tours with Mm -hmm. some younger pop artists and different things that i really wanted to tick off my my goal list you know Mm -hmm. yeah and i just felt like there was something different that I needed to do. And my girlfriend at the time, we're now married. We both decided that we were ready to change our trajectory. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had some family out here in Vegas, so it wasn't as drastic of a change. Right. We had been visiting there and just looked at, we just looked at Zillow one day just for fun. And we said, Oh man, I can't believe what we can get out here. We, We should just move here and immediately elevate our quality of life so we just did it yeah 
Wow. And what uh, what racket is your your wife in? Like, did she follow work to Vegas also? She's a freelancer like me. She was a hair colorist, and now she's actually a realtor. Oh wow! Here. Oh cool. Yeah, um, and it's been hot. The market's been pretty crazy out here lately. I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's interesting how like uh, you're you're reminding me of a, a buddy of mine. You may or may not know him. His name is Eddie Rich. He's a sax player in Vegas, um, and he's been there for over a decade. His wife is a dancer. Um, and I forgot where they came from, but they were, uh, looking at, you know, they wanted to move and they were looking at like a handful of cities where they could both make a living. Right. He's a musician. Right. She's a dancer. And, and like Vegas was just a no brainer for, for both of them. And they've, they've killed it out there. Oh yeah. There's so many friends that I know that have met out here that are in a similar position. Mm -hmm. Actually, my partner that I work with, uh, on the project Crypto Cadet. His wife is a dancer, mm -hmm. and they had been living in Branson for many years, in Missouri, <laughs> doing shows out there. Oh, where man. they were, they were the dream team because he was the MD piano player, and she was the dance captain, and right. she was wrangling all the dancers, and they were cleaning up out there. I bet they own that little town, man. <laughs> oh yeah, and as as soon as they, uh, as, as soon as he got the offer to come to Ka. He left, and then she ended up transitioning into a position where she's working with corporate events. Hmm. So she's still using her her skill set in it, the entertainment business, and still works with a lot of dancers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when when you came to Vegas, like, so you you know you ticked off these boxes in L.A. Nobody can afford a house there, uh, and so you you set your sights on Vegas. Like, did you have? specific goals that you wanted to achieve in Vegas? Did you have a specific show you wanted to get into or um, did you just sort of show up and, and see what was, what was what? Yeah, that's a good question, Zach. I, I actually really, my main goal was to have my own studio space hmm. that I didn't have to share with four other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. I just wanted full creativity and availability so I could just continue down the path of becoming a producer and becoming a curator of music, helping artists make records and recording great sounding drums. All of that stuff has been at the forefront since I've moved to Vegas. And that's actually been, I've been able to kind of carve a little niche here with that in mind because so many people in Vegas have a lot of the musicians they're just players right they just come to their gig sit down play it go home mm -hmm. and they don't have to worry about the creative side they've just always read it down and that's it right and coming from LA and seeing all the creativity that's going on out there and I, and I knew that there's so much talent here in Vegas. So it was inevitable if I put myself in situations where I'm going to meet some people. I mean, there's music happening everywhere. And all you really have to do is strike up a little conversation. And the people here are actually really nice and really kind and have been super gracious mm -hmm. and inviting me sort of into the fold and trusting me. We got a little jam session together with the musicians from Ka, one of the, the bass player, uh, Derek Jones, I met him 
doing this small corporate gig. And one thing led to the next, and I found out that they were in need of an, another sub because one guy was leaving to become a nurse, and they need two <laughs> subs f- for the gig. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so you just got to, sort of like a combination. They always say that you got to be at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was definitely lucky to get that opportunity pretty early on and moving there. Right, right. Because a lot and, of people move to Vegas with a gig. Right, okay, that, that wasn't yeah. me. That wasn't me at all. I just was moving four hours away from where I was used to. And I was like, well, I'll be close to LA if other mm-hmm. things come up there, if sessions or playing opportunities come up. Right. I could still go back if I really needed to and stay in touch with my friends out there. Right. But it and, turns out I haven't really been going out there as much as I thought I was. I just have pretty much been sticking around here. Yeah. yeah. And when you say people move there with a gig, um, I like I, I was under the impression that, you know, to to get a Vegas gig like yours, you know, the way to go about it was to to move there, meet everybody, start subbing. You know, I like I know there are guys there that don't really have a gig and they make most of their living just kind of subbing on different shows. Um, and then, you know, eventually they'll kind of land somewhere permanently. Um, but when you talk about people moving there with a gig, like what, how, how does that work? Are there open auditions where, you know, if you live in LA, you can audition for a show in Vegas and then get the gig and move there? Yes, there are quite a few open auditions. Another show that I work with, I'm actually in that boat that you were just talking about being a sub and floating around to different things. Right. I'm not the full-time guy on Ka. Okay. I'm I'm a sub, and I'm actually very happy about that because then I can take on a lot of other things that come right. my way. It's, it sounds like you know you're you moved to Vegas, you know, like you were saying, um, in search of like you know your own studio space and more autonomy to do more of what you wanted to do. And you know the live playing opportunities that Vegas presents are sort of like fringe benefits for you. It's not the point of moving there. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great though. I mean, we've I've been able to jump into a lot of different situations that I wasn't anticipating. For example, I'm working with a show called the Australian BG show. Yeah, I saw that on your on your uh, website. What <laughs> what what what's Australian? What I explain this to me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, it's basically a tribute act that was put together by these guys in Australia. And they get on stage and they're in full costume and they actually do really look like them. Wow. So and this was, really this was just a, down. this was an Australian tribute act that graduated out of Australia into Vegas. Exactly. I see. Okay. Yep. And it's a pretty small, small operation. The front three guys are, uh, they play uh, bass or sorry, they play guitar and keys and the third one is just a singer and then the backing band is just bass and drums and i run the tracks on the gig Hmm. so there's all the string parts and percussion parts and other things kind of layered in there to make it sound bigger right as if you were at a real bg's concert right and you're you're doing that all in addition to drumming Correct. Well, all I'm really doing is triggering the tracks. Right, yeah. Which 
kind of comes with the territory of a lot of these gigs in town. There's a lot of, you have to be comfortable being the one to operate the computer on Mm -hmm. the side. Right. And sometimes that's a responsibility that's put on the drummer. Sometimes it's a responsibility if they have the budget to hire a designated person to do it. Yeah. But there's, you're going to encounter gigs that involve tracks and playing with a click. Right. Yeah. And making it feel good with that. And sometimes that's a real challenge because things that are in the tracks are wavering, you know, so you're constantly just, I think it's just about keeping an open mind mm-hmm. and being, and being prepared to say yes and doing your preparation. Yeah. That thing with the, uh, like, you know, running tracks, whether it's Ableton or whatever else, I mean, it's, it's becoming more and more common, even for touring gigs, like forget about a theater show or, um, you know, a musical, um, it's, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I think the degree to which drummers are expected to do that is, you know, varies because sometimes it's like extremely active and you're reacting to stuff in the moment and, uh, you know, making adjustments on the fly with Ableton and blah. And some guys are really good at that, but other times it's just like hitting the space bar and that's pretty much the, (laughs) the extent of your responsibilities. Um, yeah, the space bar. And then the first thing I want to know is where's the panic button? (laughs) That's what I want to know. How how to emergency stop everything. Right. Abort. Things go, go to rye. Abort mission. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And believe me, it happens more than you would think. I'm sure. Yeah. The computer crashes or somebody can't hear something or someone misses a cue. Man. Yeah. It's, it's definitely technology is great when you want it to work and when it works for you but seems like when it crashes is the time when you need it the most yeah i like i'm so ambivalent about it because you know on it's such a double-edged sword i see how much benefit it can add to to a show or to to a production but uh you know the more intertwined it gets into the music and what's happening the 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 uh, the harder you could be screwed <laughs> in, exactly in, in any given moment yeah and as drummers we're pretty good at multitasking mm-hmm. so it makes sense that they would put that onto us as a responsibility we're sort of out of the way already so we yeah. can have we're sitting down we got access to the computer we can we usually don't have anything set up far to our left right yeah depending on how you set up but usually there's the computer there and now actually they're using ipads too so that's saving Mm -hmm. some space yeah and you can just tether that onto the computer from the computer and control it just from a little touch interface so it's a little more convenient right i understand why um non-drummers like i i understand why drummers kind of got saddled with this (laughs) um when it when it first came around um but I I just I I wish somebody would have put a little more thought into it because I don't think we're the best people to do it. Um, I I mean I I I think keyboardists are the best people to do it. If there's not a keyboardist in the band, then that's another thing. But I I just think, um, you know the the. Uh, tell me what you think about this. I mean, as someone who's doing some production, like, isn't it if if there's tracks, if there's programming, if there's Ableton, you know, the MD is usually the one that uh sort of puts that stuff in place 
Um, so wouldn't it, you know, if the MD is in the band, which isn't always the case, but usually the case, if the MD is in the band, wouldn't it make sense for the MD to just continue manning the computer instead of like loading it up with a bunch of stuff and then passing it off to the drummer? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'd like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm foisting my resentment a- upon you in the form of a question. Uh, <laughs> man, why do we always get the, the crap end of the stick, man? Why do we always get that? You know? Uh, yeah. I I I am 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 in agreement with you that there are potentially other better suited individuals in a band. I I've worked with keyboard players that are triggering tracks and I've been very appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah. Um I think at, at my uh my church gig um for a while the the MD was you know, my, like I, it was my responsibility to hit the space bar, right? I didn't have to really get inside Ableton or do much. Um, but there were times in rehearsal when, you know, uh, changes would have to be made. I could get around Ableton a little bit, but oftentimes like he would have to come over to the drums and just, cause it's his system, it's his, you know, it's his uh, session. I don't speak his language in Ableton. Uh, and one day I was like, man, do you, do you just want to like, keep the laptop like over there do you just want to hit the space bar do you want to trigger this stuff and he was like that'd probably make more sense wouldn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely that's and then then they're not relinquishing control of anything right right or maybe they just want us to be the one to blame for everything (laughs) that's there you go So you said you you got on the sub list for Ka through this bassist that you uh, befriended, right? That's right. Um, so, like, on in an average week, I mean, you know, in the before times, uh, how many shows would you play? Not very many, to be honest. Hmm. I was sort of focusing on getting out and going to see people play as much mm-hmm. as I could, and just start to familiarize myself with the type of things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And there, there were a lot of lounge bands and a lot of shows, and I wasn't really gunning for anything in particular other than just getting an opportunity. And it helped saying that, oh, hey, I'm from L.A. and I was there for a while. That kind of gave me some credibility. Mm-hmm. And having the studio and being able to offer that to people that typically aren't the musicians that I know that work, they're not booking out huge studios for their projects. A lot of times they have their own project studios or maybe even looking to collaborate. Right. That was sort of a way that I could strike up some conversations with people that have been here for a while and learn about who's on what gig and who's the person to know to make sure they're aware of you right and and know what you do and the skill set you bring to the table if you've got multiple skill sets it's higher you'll get higher on the totem pole you have more things to offer more things to say yes to say and the other thing that i've had to really focus on has been my reading hmm. and i was not really ready for that particularly from from being in LA for so long 
there weren't a lot of gigs where they provided charts for you. Yeah. But so I was a little bit resistant of doing it at first, but then I realized, hey, this is actually going to save me time if I can hone my reading chops. Yeah. Once I started getting asked, hey, can you cover on this Broadway style show as a sub for an unknown amount of time? It could be one gig, but here's all the charts. And I said, oh, shoot. Uh, well, I don't want to say no. Right. Yeah. So I want, I want to do it to get the opportunity to meet people that are in the band and just make an impression. If it can be a positive one, even better. Yeah. So was but either reading, way, I'm going to learn from it, you know? Right. So, like, so, so reading wasn't uh, a huge part of your, your schooling, your background. I mean, obviously a lot of the gigs in, in LA, um, don't include that, but what about before, like leading up to that? Yeah. Reading has been a thing for me. I've started learning to read luckily early on in school. I had a high school band teacher who was a drummer. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of private lessons and he got me into some books early on. Yeah. That was super helpful. And then going to the Drummers Collective in New York right oh, cool. out of high school, mm-hmm. I was doing a ton of reading there. And it's sort of like a language. If you don't practice it, you're just going to lose it. It goes away. Yep. And that's what happened when I moved to LA. And I just started making chicken scratch just charts, lead sheets and stuff that yeah. hadn't had no musical content. It was just song form. Right. Four bars, verse, eight bars, chorus, that type of thing going yeah. down a sheet. Mm-hmm. And that worked for me up until a point. And then I started running into problems when there was specifics mm-hmm. about arrangement and weird bar lengths and patterns that I needed to grab. Right. So I knew it was inevitable that I was going to have to jump back into my reading and get it back up to a good level. Yeah. Yeah. Back to my fourth grade reading level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I went through the same thing where like, you know, I, I played in, uh, big bands all throughout college and grad school. And, you know, after that I was in Kansas city. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the gigs that I was playing involved reading, um, and then also when I was in LA, quite a bit of reading there since I moved to Atlanta, a lot less. And, you know, if I, if I find myself in a reading situation now, it's kind of what you were talking about. Like shit, some, some of this has left me. I better, <laughs> I better screw my head on and get with it here. Cause before it was oh, so automatic, yeah. like you, you, it's this muscle memory of like, you know, just being able to recognize stuff on a page and translate it to your drums. Um, but you're absolutely right. If you don't, if you don't use that muscle, it'll just, it'll go away. It's still intimidating to me to this day to get new charts. Mm. I just have to kind of calm myself down. All right. It just notes on a page, sit (laughs) down, slow it down. Like we all did when we first started, slow your pattern down then work up to tempo to your level of comfort. Right. Right. And, and really the end of the day. It's your interpretation. They are, you're getting called because they want you. Mm-hmm. And they know that you're capable of doing the job. So if you can make it feel good and know the song form, and you, you might have a little wiggle room to make it your own. So that's what I try to do 
and also when I'm subbing, I like to listen to the what the main guy does. Yeah, for and sure. Just try just try to cop that because it's all about making the rest of the band feel like you're transparent. Right, absolutely. Is that like is it the case with um Ka that like you have a little bit of uh leeway to to be you and sort of interpret stuff and that's why they want you there or are are you expected to just like plug in and be the guy that you're subbing for? There's a little bit of both, but I would say that Cirque in general is really really into artistry. Mm. And they encourage you to interpret the music mm-hmm. in the moments that you have the availability to do it. Right. There are many moments when that's just not an option, <laughs> I'm sure. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Like triggering a clown sound when the clown throws the throws something in the air. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. You're on an SPDS pad and watching a video monitor and hoping that you get it at right at the just mo- perfect moment just yeah. at the right moment yeah there's um, a lot of things that can't really change you can't really change a egg throwing into the air sound with an air horn that's just not going to work <laughs> right if you want to interpret it like that but yeah yeah it's there are moments in that show particularly where it's open to interpretation and there's actually a huge drum solo in the show oh wow and there's double bass and all this stuff that I hadn't done in a really long time. Wow. And when I got in there, they were like, you're going to have to play double kick. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shoot. Okay, well, I wish I still had my, my double pedal when I first got into, you know, Dave Weckl. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like I, I traded, back, mine, back in those. traded mine in like third year of college or something for a jazz ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So you just never know what you're going to come across out here. And it just keeps you on your toes. And again, if you're just staying open-minded, you could find yourself working. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, it's not just about being open-minded. That's all well and good. But that comes with, like, being willing to put in the work and learn whatever you got to learn to do that gig. You know, like, I I can be open-minded to running Ableton, but if I'm not willing to actually dig in and learn how to fucking do it, and, mm. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's the second part of that sentence. Like, be open-minded and then learn whatever it is you're open-minded to. Exactly. And be willing to put in the work to get mm-hmm. there, to, to garner the result that everybody wants, which is a smooth show. Right, right. Um, has there been anything, uh, like in, in Vegas or otherwise, like has, has there been some skill or some, you know, requirement of a gig, uh, where you were like, this isn't me. Like, I'm, I'm not interested in learning this or I, I'm not capable of learning this in time or, um, or has it always been like, yes, I can speak French or yes, I know Kung Fu. (laughs) You know. I haven't really gotten to that point. A lot of times this the guy that is the sit down person on the gig where it's his full time job, they'll ask of more things. Mm-hmm. Specifically with the Ka gig, they ask him to put on clown makeup one night a week and be in the show hmm. and take part in one of the in a few of the different stage acts. And they they strap him in and 
hoist them up onto these big um they've got a scene where there's all these drummers up in the air mm-hmm. and they're playing along with the tracks on these big taiko drums and he's one of them and they have a rotation of different people hmm. but they haven't asked me to do that because i just go in and cover the show in case he can't be there for some emergency reason mm-hmm. and they have me in there once a month and i hope that once the show is back, they rehire all the subs. They actually let everybody go. Oh, wow. That was a sub. So I'm still in limbo on whether or not I'll be back. But it's a great company to work for. Mm-hmm. It's just, you, you're, you're basically, you know, you, there's always that joke, oh, hey, mom, I went and joined the circus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and in a way, it's like that. When I first walked in there, I see people doing handstands in the hallway. Yeah. And people with amazing makeup and these costumes just walking around casually like it's just another day at the office. Yeah. Because it is. And it is, literally. It's, it's just a weird fucking office. <laughs> yeah. Everything that's out of the ordinary becomes ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you're in the twilight zone. I worked at Disneyland for four years when I lived in LA, so I know exactly what you mean. Just like your your normal becomes just this heightened weird reality um, that that you just don't experience anywhere else. And I haven't lived in Vegas, I haven't worked in Vegas, but it to to me it it a lot of it seems a lot like um, like Disneyland, like this this fantastical environment just kind of becomes your day to day office. Some people have called it the world's largest cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, that that rings true for sure. Yeah, it can definitely get cheesy at times, but inevitably it's a place that people love to come to. Mm-hmm. And it's really the entertainment capital of the world. Yeah, yeah. And it's a place people go to escape reality, right? Um, yes, that's so, huge. Right so it, it is intentionally not reality. But, you know, millions of people live and work there. And for them, that is their reality. Um, has it like, has that messed with your head at all? Like just being in Vegas full time and sort of just being in this environment that other people escape to. But for you, it's, it's where you live. It's your day to day. Yes and no. People, <laughs> people automatically assume that when you live in Vegas, oh, you're just at the strip all the time. How do right. you deal with that? Right. Yeah. And the truth is, I only go to the strip when I absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. And same with everybody else that works on the strip. They're there to do their job and go home. Yep. And surrounding Vegas is a normal town. Right. Different little pockets of areas and cultures. There's a lot of variety here, mm-hmm. more than you would think. Yeah, yeah. I've spent some time there and, and haven't um, experienced too much outside the strip, but like... Uh, like the best bowl of ramen I ever had was in Vegas, like miles off the strip in some strip mall. Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, that, like that experience and a few others kind of hit me to the fact that like, Oh, there's, there's like an actual city here with normal stuff (laughs) and, and good stuff. And like you said, little sub communities and different, um, you know, different ethnic communities and, and all kinds of shit going on. Um, it's funny you say like, kids and everything yeah there's everybody has a normal life here it's just surrounded by this 
there's just this one little epicenter of weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you said like you, you don't really go to the strip unless you have to. And it reminded me of when I lived in L- L.A. Like I never went to Hollywood unless I had to. I would imagine if I lived in New York, I would never go to Broadway unless I had to. now i mean it it seems like you've uh sort of achieved at least some of the uh autonomy that you were looking for in vegas like you know looking forward in in 2022 and beyond um are you trying to tour are you trying to do more shows on the strip or are you just like more focused on hunkering down in your space and kind of uh creating like you said that that niche that you've started to uh hollow out there Wow, it's really hard because isn't it funny when people say, oh, I miss playing live. I've been in the studio too much. Mm -hmm. And then when you play in the studio or when you play live, you miss the studio. Right. That's sort of been my battle Hmm. all the time. So I just want to do it all. Honestly, I I love being on the road and traveling. And I'm going to be doing more gigs actually coming up. Uh, at the end of the year, I'm going to be hopping on with Marie Osmond. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some some shows going on, some tours getting booked. And is that a gig that sort of came about through the, the Vegas machine, like your, your Vegas network? Exactly. Yeah. So Marie has had a gig here, a, a resident show mm-hmm. for a long time with her brother, Donnie. Right. Sure. And that closed, I think, a little bit before the pandemic started. Hmm. And since then, Donnie has opened up his own show here in Vegas. And Marie does a lot of dates out of town with the symphony. So Hmm. she'll just show up somewhere, do a one-off. Right. And then in December, she's doing a Christmas tour. Yeah. So she's adding in some Christmas songs into the set list. Man, that's such a good racket for so many artists. Like, uh, especially I think artists of her generation. Like, you know, they kind of they get an MD to put together a, a a show with an orchestra, and they just go hopping around the country to all these different pops orchestras. You know, like the rest of the year they're doing you know the legit classical thing but like somebody like her is once or twice a year it's like oh a pop act you know we're doing the pops thing with the so-and-so symphony and uh oh yeah yeah so she'll bring like yeah like that that artist will bring like a little rhythm section her md pianist a drummer and like plug them into this symphony and and then there's the whole christmas show thing like it is (laughs) people people are like paying their mortgage with that kind of a thing Definitely. And it works for her audience. And for sure. Yeah. Everything about that is 
it's pretty much tried and true at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, It'll be yeah. interesting. We have a one-off coming up in about a week, so mm-hmm. I've been getting prepared for that. We just did a little run-through with the rhythm section two days ago. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's another gig with tracks, so I'm sitting there and figuring out. It's really about playing with those tracks and making it not sound like jagged. You yeah. Know, like one section in medleys, the click will change yeah. at, at any given, at a certain point. And it's basically, what works for me is just repetition, listening mm-hmm. to it over and over again. Yeah. And just until it just makes you so annoyed that you don't want to hear it anymore. Right, right. You don't have to hear and it then, anymore. It's just in your bones. You, yes, exactly. You go to sleep and I kind of go crazy trying to get it out of my head or... One song will stick in my head, and I'm like, "Why am I still repeating that song in my head? It's go yeah. away, you know." But, but then when you get down on the gig, it ends up being worth it because right. it's shoulders down at that point. Right, totally, totally. So, is this show with her um, like one of those like with an orchestra shows you were talking about, or is this just kind of a rhythm section and some tracks and and more of a stripped down thing? This show coming up is with an orchestra. Wow. So orchestra and tracks. Yes. Jesus. Why? <laughs> man, your guess is as good as mine. Right. You're like, I'm not the MD, man. I just do what I'm told. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's, there, it's actually pretty rhythm section heavy. The, the symphony is going to be somewhat secondary in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. It's definitely going to add an element of a, a wow factor with having all those people on stage. Sure. Yeah, and a lot of times that's half the point. <laughs> and it's classy. I mean, who doesn't like classy? Sure, everybody in those white jackets, man. That's yeah, Dang right. <laughs> that makes them feel like <laughs> makes them feel like whatever they paid is worth it. You know, that's it. So you're doing you're doing some um, engineering, mixing, producing projects in your space there, um, and one of the things like um, we've obviously been talking ad nauseum over the last year and a half about um drummers having the ability to record themselves and you know where we all are uh in our in our various journeys with that um one of the things i'm curious about is like when you started mixing like we've talked a bunch about like just getting started and learning how to track drums learning about mic placement and all that um but when you started mixing drums, like at, at what point did you start getting called upon to do drum mixes more? And um, what were you know some of the some of the obstacles or challenges uh, you faced there? What are some of the techniques that you kind of first started leaning on? Um, because I think a lot of uh, you know a, a lot of drummers now have the ability to record themselves. A lot of drummers are getting really good sounds. Um, but you know, engineering your own playing. Uh, and getting good raw drum sounds is a different skill from mixing. <laughs> um, and it's something that yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of bumping up against that right now. So I'm curious about like when you started venturing into the world of mixing. So I got really lucky with my friend who went to Berkeley College of Music for engineering. He got me started with learning how to record and learning how to mix and do things the right way. Mm-hmm. And what's the industry standard microphone for this situation? It was almost like having Cliff's notes to start recording. 
Hmm. And that was super helpful. Yeah. About maybe 10 years ago, there wasn't as mu- as many resources available on YouTube or something like that. that right. That would help people get started easier or products that are sort of set it and forget it and well, that's an interesting sound right away. It's an interesting point because like as as much information as is now available on YouTube and wherever else, it's I mean, it's so easy to just get overwhelmed and have no idea where to start. But you like you had this guy that was just like this list of like, here are some good places to start. It's not the only good way to do it, but like here is some reliably good shit that you can use and do, you know, instead of just being on your own on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which absolutely. you know wh- whose reliability is is uh, you know, spotty at best. <laughs> yeah, totally. You don't really know if those opinions are the right ones. Mhm. Or, or if they're going to work for your space or your playing or your gear or whatever it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I learned early on that you are, you could have the nicest gear and you'll be still limited to the space yep. that you're in. So if you can treat that space, if that's what your space is, if you decided, hey, this is my space mm-hmm. that I'm going to use to do X, Y, and Z, you better treat that space in the optimal way, do your research and... You are about the twentieth. You you're about the twentieth person to say that on this podcast in the last year and a half. Like we did, uh, you know, a, a few episodes with uh, an acoustician um, talking about oh. how to treat spaces. And yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said it because it bears repeating. Like investing in your space will pay more dividends than investing in almost anything else when it comes to recording. Now that you mentioned that, I am definitely going to be listening to that. Cool. Yeah, it's with, um, uh, his name is Anthony Grimani from uh, Sonatus USA. Sonatus is like a company that like, you know, builds panels and bass traps and treatment and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, we did three episodes with him. One about um, like treating the interior sound in your space. One about soundproofing. Um, and I guess maybe the interior space was like two parts. Um, yeah. Maybe it was wow, just that sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. It was tons of great information there. Um, and Sonatus makes these great uh, panels and, and different products um, that they can, you know, sort of custom design for whatever space you're working in. Um, but even if you can't afford to use a company like that, uh, you know, the, the info that they can offer and the info that Anthony talked about in those episodes is, is just super useful. And you can use it to build your own stuff. You'd be surprised, or maybe your listeners, you wouldn't be surprised because you probably already know this, but your listeners would be surprised to know that a lot of the treatment stuff you can build on your own with fairly limited skills as a carpenter or, or whatever, and yep. l- limited tools. Mm-hmm. There's, there, I will recommend there's one Instagram account that I've really loved following, and he actually used to be my neighbor in LA. Oh, cool. And it's called Nyback Builds. N-Y-B-A-C-K. Uh-huh. Builds. That's the name of the account. And they are just making beautiful stuff. Nice. They have, they've built rooms for drummers that I know. They've built studios for all sorts of big name people. And they're, they're making gobos and absorption and deflective things and mm-hmm. all sorts of creative custom Mostly in home, it looks like in home situations, mm-hmm. and 
that has been a huge source of inspiration for me. Is nice. looking at this this Instagram account, Nyback Builds. Yeah, that's the you know the same kind of thing I would imagine. Like even if you don't end up uh, spending money on their stuff, you know, just kind of following them can get you hip to some best practices, and you can see a thing that they built and like, oh, I can make something like that, and it'll you know, um, yeah, cool. So like, yeah, we did all kinds of in in my studio. I've actually got a live room and a control room in my mm-hmm. house, and we were able to build a ton of absorption in here so it's pretty dead Mm -hmm. i will give it that the live room is not by any means capital studios right and it's never gonna be nothing is no (laughs) it's not gonna ever be that but i do know that when you close that door you can something happens i bring people in there and they i close the door for them and it's sort of an experiment like let me see what their reaction is and they're like whoa it's so quiet yeah. This is weird. I can almost hear my blood churning. You know? <laughs> and and for me, I think that's really cool because when you're doing projects and it's basically I've turned it into a giant vocal booth. Hmm. So I can use it for vocals right. or I can use it for recording drums. It's big enough to even take on a few musicians in there. Yeah. And and you really get you're gonna get because you can, with software, you can add in any room that you want, really. Right, yeah. So you don't need the room sound, you just need really good source material. Right, and I think that's what, like, you know, people uh, think about a room like capital B or something. And, it, you know, when when you talk about a room sound or using a room mic, like, not many rooms are capable of being an asset to the sound the way a place like that is. And, you know, the best a lot of us can do is just treating our room so that the room isn't, uh, you know, uh, harming (laughs) anything, right? If you can just get the room to neutral where it's not screwing anything up, like it's not adding any magic really, but uh, it's not adding any shit. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good place to start is just do whatever you can do to treat your room so that you get an accurate representation of whatever it is you're recording. Mm-hmm. trial and error as much as you can because the most expensive gear in a terrible room isn't going to do anything for you yeah yeah so so when it comes to mixing like you've you know you've you've tracked your drums it's done you've played the shit and now you've got to sit down and like stitch this stuff together and make it sound as good as possible um what uh what were some of the sort of first um what were some of the first best practices you learned about mixing drums? Analog summing hmm. has been huge for me. I have the Shadow Hills Equinox, which has totally opened up the world of mixing for me. It just It's basically a console in a box. Mm-hmm. It's got 32 channels of summing. This is a plug-in? No, this is a piece of hardware. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can go on Sweetwater and look at it. It's a very boutique piece of gear, but it was it has been worth every penny. Hmm. With with regards to mixing, it just you know when you go into a real studio with a console and it just has that magic. Whatever you, it's hard to really pinpoint what it is. There's sort of character and also space for everything to exist. Yeah, this is the the closest thing that I could say 
for somebody buddy on a project studio budget can get. Mm-hmm. And having that as integrating that into your workflow, you know, that for me, that has been super helpful is using that summing to change the color and aid you in getting a good mix right hmm. off the bat. Hmm. So does it, uh, tell me, like, tell me how, what, tell me how this fits into your flow. So after tracking, I will edit my drums to the way that I want them. And then if they ask me, the client asks me, hey, I, I'd like for you to mix the drums or mix my track. I will say, okay, I'm in mix mode. And once everything is exactly where I want, vocals tuned, everything lined up, I'll click it over to mix mode, which basically opens up the uh, other, I think, I believe it's 30 channels that uh, it takes in this piece of, of, of equipment. So you have to have a, the first thing you also need with this is to have an interface or ability to convert 32 channels, send and convert 32 channels of audio. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a lot of options with that respect, but it, you know, some, some of the, the one that I have is actually the Antelope Audio Orion 32. Mm-hmm. And that makes it so I can spit out a lot of outputs mm-hmm. to then go into my summing mixer, which then spits out a stereo track. And when it's, when you have the individual outputs going through this summing box, it basically, it puts this, sort of console-ish sheen over everything mm-hmm. and you mix into it mm-hmm. so what you're hearing is the stereo out of this box mm-hmm. after it goes through the circuitry that it's going through the transformers and different things that it has inside and you can actually it's got switchable transformers which is an even cooler feature so you can change the overall sheen of and sonic character of your mix from, hmm. uh, I believe it's, there's a nickel setting, an iron setting, and a steel setting. Hmm. And you can change, and the, it actually is more, one of them is more of a shimmery sound. The other one, the middle position is more like a neve. And then the lower position is a, is a bottom heavy. Hmm. So depending on what the client is looking for, like I've even mixed, EDM tracks through this and say I, I felt like it was lacking in a little bit of that low end I just put it on the steel position and it just something about it gives it a little bit of extra heft in the low end huh so when it when it comes to the drums does this thing come into play before or after you're doing your EQ compression reverb all that shit it comes before. Okay. So everything you're you're doing in in that regard um is coming out of this uh analog summing thing. I believe so. So what you're doing I'm I'm basically hearing the output of the summing. Mhm. So I guess w- what I'm doing is I'm sorry. So the 
the summing is coming actually after the what you're doing in the computer because the computer is you're having it send say you have one channel that your kick drum mm-hmm. and you'll put an eq and a compressor the output of that channel is an input of your summing got it so yeah so i had it backwards it's actually what's going on on your computer is being spit out into your summing box and then you're hearing that through your speakers. Right. So I guess it's kind of simultaneous. Like whatever you're, whatever adjustments you're making with EQ and uh, compression and all that, you're you're hearing it through the lens of of the summing. Yes, exactly. It's like you're mixing through a real console. Yeah. That's the whole idea. Yeah, that's cool. And wow. you you know, you hear stories about people just taking their stems to a studio that has a nice Neve or an SSL. And they'll just print their stems through the the transformers of the console. Yeah, it's just putting just putting a little extra sheen and and spatial character mm-hmm. that you you it's hard to achieve with just an in the box mix. Right, and there are tons of like plugins, you know, that impart like an analog thing, like you're talking about. But it sounds like this is a piece of hardware that's a better version of what the plugins are doing. Like not as good as the actual Neve console, perhaps, but better than just some app or not app, but plugin. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean the the plugins they've been getting amazing, amazing results with. Yeah, you know, the UA stuff and Slate, and I've used all that stuff. But just having this summing box this shadow hill equinox it kind of puts your stuff you kind of want to just hone in on your what's initially happening Mm -hmm. it it sort of brings forward the good characters of what you recorded yeah to the point where to the point where you don't need much as far as processing after the fact yeah yeah i mean it sounds like you know most most other uh experiences i've had with just tracking in here like the the better something is going in uh you know the better it's going to be you know the easier it's going to be the less you're going to have to do um so is is that the case with this thing like the better your raw sound is the more this thing kind of makes it shine definitely definitely and it just helps you achieve a spatial mix where everything can be he- heard clearly. That's really mm-hmm. the end goal, is you want to hear everything, all the important moments in the music. You want everything to sit in the right place. Yeah. And this really helps you get, get it there with, with less going against the grain. Yeah, yeah. What, and what is that thing called again? less of a fight. It's called the Shadow Hills Equinox. How much is that thing? Well, you have to buy... In order to turn it on, you have to have uh, this power, um, it's not a power conditioner, it's a power unit. Wow. And that's separate. So all said and done, I think it's around seven grand. Wow. Something like that. (laughs) So that's a serious piece of shit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. I mean, guys that are serious have this have yeah. this piece of gear in their arsenal and yeah a lot of people people really do swear by it i it's been been kind of a really great learning experience because at first i was sort of intimidated to use that summing part of it mm-hmm. but then when i started using it all the time it was like oh well now i don't know how i lived without that right right just uh, makes everything sound sound better and it makes it easier to sound, make a great mix quicker 
So it really is between a plug-in and, a, and an actual Neve console. Like if you're if you're over the plug-ins and and you don't want to use that, but you know not everybody can afford a Neve console. <laughs> so it kind of sits in between right. there. <laughs> it's right in between there, yeah. And I would say it's way more achievable. Yeah, for sure. Easily accessible to get to get the Equinox than the Neve console. Yeah, because the maintenance and oh just yeah, the overall just, cost ugh. and and everything, it's just crazy. But and recently, I, I got into a 500 series units for for my pre's, mm-hmm. and that's been an amazing upgrade from what I had before. Mm-hmm. Just having the the Rupert Neve um, 500 series pre's, SSL pre's, just some of those staples for getting great drum sounds. Yeah. So tell me this. I'm curious. Uh, do you know uh, Dan Bailey? I do not. He's a drummer in L.A. I mean, he lives like south of L.A. in Orange County, but he he does a ton of tracking work, just, you know, engineering his own drums. Um, And he does a great course about uh, recording and tuning, uh, has a big IG following where he demos a lot of stuff and answers a lot of questions. Um, And recently somebody was asking him about preamps, like what are some good, you know, preamps to buy? What's the best bang for the buck? And he said um, the... Like the the preamps that are built into um, stuff like uh, the Scarlet 18i20, which I have sitting here, and like Presonus makes a bunch of those sort of interface preamp in one things. He said the the preamps in those things are great. In order to get noticeably better than those preamps, you have to spend like thousands of dollars on really kick-ass high-end preamps. Um, mm. would, would you agree or disagree with that statement? I would agree. Yeah. Cool. Just from personal, literally having been through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did it's, you upgrade, like when you talked about getting those preamps for drums, were you upgrading away from one of those, uh, preamp interface in one things? Sort of. I had gotten my Antelope Audio Orion 32 plus to go with my summing, which is, that's my interface. And with that, there's all, they were also selling this unit that had 32 channels. Mm-hmm. It was like a 32 channel preamp. And I think it was a two rats rack space unit. Hmm. And that was amazing because I had all these channels. I could record bands and just, it was basically like having a console. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was digitally controlled though. There were no knobs and I was having a little bit of issues with, software Mm. to run it to like get my gain right and all that stuff so i just went back to the old school and got a 10 10 space 500 series rack and just started saving up Mm -hmm. looking at reverb there's a ton of great deals on reverb for high-end preamps Mm -hmm. and i gotta say i've never gotten better drum sounds than this and this is pretty much what real studios have anyway right I've been to a few of the big studios in Vegas and track drums there, and it's honestly that not that much different hmm. than wow. what I than what I have. And actually, the first time I really we really got into this upgraded setup was r- recording the drums on the record that I put together uh, with my project called Cryptic Cadet. Oh, cool! Yeah, so those drum sounds are by far the best drum sounds I think I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Even better than a lot of studios that I've been to. Yeah. And we did them here in my house. It's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's man, it's really uh amazing what you can achieve. Like if you if you have the time to mess with stuff and experiment and you know, obviously you need some some money to invest, especially when it comes to the higher end stuff. But um, you know, it's it's kind of blown my mind how um uh I don't know I don't know if disillusioned is the right word, but like you know, I've um I, I used to think that that the studio environment was just this magic place that only a few people knew how to operate and and it was it was like um you know just uh <laughs> uh what's the what's the place in uh it was like wakanda right only a few people have access to it and the most amazing shit happens there right um but this this process of kind of getting my own space going um has has showed me that like no it's not magic it's all technique you can learn the technique anybody can learn the technique if you can afford the gear you can have the same kind of gear even if you can't afford that gear you can do really good with your gear Amen. That's it. Yeah, you can you can really achieve a lot and you'd be surprised. It's it's really I mean, obviously, I've been doing it for 10 years and mm-hmm. it's a journey. You yeah. got to be willing to go down the rabbit hole. Right. And be paying stuff off for a while. <laughs> it's like another, having another car to pay for is having the studio. Right. Right. But it's for it for for the sake of tone, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. When I started this process, like it, it became, I mean, you talk about a journey. It it became apparent to me very quickly that like, this is never going to end. I'm never going to get to like (laughs) the the day I die, wherever, wherever I am in my recording journey, like that's where it's going to end and I'll get as far as I can, but it is never, ever, ever going to end. (laughs) You could spend a million dollars and you're still not done. I know. Literally. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just trying to and I have spent a lot of money and it's just one of those things that now I'm just trying to enjoy it. Right. I just am so happy with the way things are sounding right now. And I don't want to make any more big changes unless I have to. I mean, the next thing is getting a new computer. My computer right. is still a dinosaur. So yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be my next upgrade, I think. But other than that, everything's rocking and, you can hear the drum sounds that we got from from this setup, plus the the summing mix that we did. We mixed the record ourselves. It's uh, it's called Disconnected. It's an album. Uh, the artist is called Cryptic Cadet. Cool on Spotify or wherever. Yep, it's every it's everywhere. Yeah, I did it with my partner Mark Owen, who uh, we we worked together at Ka, and we both realized pretty early on we have a mutual love for being in the studio and making records and when the downturn happened we we got together because we had been working on a lot of projects for other people and we we have always i've always been telling him hey man we got to write our own music we got to do our own thing Mm -hmm. and it has just opened up the floodgates since we put it out we just have been getting great feedback and it's just such a good feeling to put your own music out there that you're really proud of and yeah, you've worked yeah. for months on and you've invested all your money and and energy to have the gear to make it sound the way you want mm-hmm. so it's it's been a really rewarding thing to have that out there yeah and i i like what you said about just sort of like enjoying where you're at with your sounds um 
and and having fun with that and sort of appreciating it because you know wherever you are in your journey it's really easy to sort of get fixated on what you need to improve or the next piece of gear you need to upgrade or you know how it can still be better but like it reminded me that like all throughout this journey you know I'm I'm still way closer to the beginning of my journey than than you are um, but just in the couple years that I've been doing it, like there have been these victories along the way where you like you notice a big improvement in the sounds you're getting, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Right? So like wherever <laughs> you are, wherever you are in that journey, there are going to be those victories, and just like take them, you know, take some time to just like bask in like, "Man, it's better. It sounds good." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a really, really rewarding when you get it there and you have those moments. Mm-hmm. Definitely had a handful of those moments. One of them was the summing, and the other one was this 500 series stuff. And it's just anything to make your life easier because it's terrible when you first start and you've got not great gear, and you're like, why doesn't it sound good? Right. And then you're fighting against it constantly. So I would, I'm a proponent for, and actually, this is what my friend was telling me when we first started was you got to have the end goal in mind. Hmm. But it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And if your end goal is this this stuff that puts you up to here, you got to take the steps. You got to be willing to take those steps and be uncomfortable for a little while, unless you just have a bunch of money and you can just blow it all. Right, know? and devote no all of like all day, every day to learning how to use the shit and getting good at it. Like you know, it's a yeah. process of of acquiring the gear you want and learning the skills you need. Um, but yeah, there are those little victories along the way. Uh, definitely yeah it's yeah. a good feeling yeah well cool man thanks so much for talking with us uh it was it was great to meet you and and i hope uh i hope things get busier and busier for you there in vegas it's cool it doesn't sound like you're really sort of uh attached or beholden to vegas getting fully up and running again you've got your own space and your own projects uh and uh it's a it's a cool thing to see man oh definitely yeah i don't really like to have all my eggs in one basket i'm yeah very much floating around and just loving to be in, involved in musical projects of all different sizes and genres and, and everything. It's Vegas is going to be back. Yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, I've been very happy to have the time to bask in my in my little space here and, you know, make things happen on my own. Right. Right. We'll keep it up, man. It was great talking with you. Oh, thanks, Zach. I really appreciate you having me. Really nice to meet you. There you go. Cameron Tyler, Vegas pro, solid dude, kind of creating his own business model as he goes over there. Next week, Matthew Krause will be talking with New York-based drummer and producer Chuck Palmer. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, get vaxxed, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.